Well, the buyout window is now open, which means that teams are ready for business. And I know we I know we get really jaded when it comes to hockey and the offseason, and we have so many expectations for how many players are going to move and look at all these guys that are available and look at the goalie market. All these teams are going to be super exciting. And it almost never lives up to the expectations. Almost never. I have this crazy suspicion that this year is going to be different. We spent a lot of time talking yesterday. Well, I mean, we spent some time talking yesterday because we talked too much about the same thing and then we didn't get to all the teams and players that we wanted to. But we are talking about teams and players that are of interest going into this offseason. Jeff picked the Coyotes more for the off-ice stuff, but also kind of what they might do at the draft. He also picked the Avalanche and what happens with them without Gabriel Landeskog and, and the Valerie Nichushkin situation. I gave you mine, which was Winnipeg. Uh, I also talked about Buffalo because I think that Buffalo is is in a position to make some sort of a splash. There are others. There's the Calgary Flames, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Philadelphia Flyers, the St. Louis Blues, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like we could go across the board. The New Jersey Devils are another team that are of super interest for me. Then there's the goalie market, which includes, you know, as we talked about yesterday with Kevin Woodley, Connor Hellebuck, John Gibson, maybe Linus Allmark, Frederick Anderson, Aiden Hill, Tristan Jari. Go down the list. It is going to be a musical chairs. Like, and we, and a lot of the time we focus on the unrestricted free agents or the guys that are maybe unhappy in one spot and they want to be moved or teams that are looking for, you know, a shift in, in culture, whatever the case may be. But there's also restricted free agents and there's plenty of them. One of them yesterday that signed Jesper Bratt, eight years, $63 million. And we'll talk to the man who signed that contract. Tom Fitzgerald will join us at the bottom of the hour. What happens with Austin Matthews? What happens with guys in Buffalo like Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power who are eligible to sign extensions? Like this could be a transformative offseason. And like I said, we we get really cynical about this stuff. As we should, because every year it feels like we're going to get all sorts of movement and it just never ends up happening. The buyout window that opened a few hours ago, I believe will give us an indication of how fluid all of this stuff is going to be. Because if we see buyouts left, right, and center, I mean, we don't usually get a lot of them, but I feel like the way the cap is right now and with it going up next season, it allows teams to have flexibility. And by buying guys out, you can bite the bullet in the first year and then things will open up next season. Next season being... 24, 25. I don't even know what year it is anymore, let alone what day it is. But that's why I think that when we look at the buyout candidates, so let's use Matt Murray as an example in Toronto. So Matt Murray's cap hit this season would be minimal. It's next season, 24, 25, that things will open up. The cap will open up. We we anticipate that it's going to go up you know, $5 million or whatever they're thinking it's going to go up. It's a big number for a cap that hasn't gone up in a, or has barely gone up in the last few years because of COVID. 
I think that this season is going to be, this off season is going to be banana sandwich. I think it is going to be absolutely insane. And for a radio host who does shows in Toronto in the off season, it is welcome news to have stuff happen in the month of July and at the end of June when we're doing a hockey show with no hockey on. There will be plenty of news. So I want to hear from you the question of the day, and I put it on my Twitter, at MattyMar89, which team or player is the most interesting this offseason? At MattyMar89, DMs are open as well. If you don't want it to be public, if you think that your idea is so crazy, send me a DM. The offseason is here, and I am ready for it. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick on The Jeff Merrick Show. Let's get it started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up on the program, we'll be joined shortly by David Amber, Hockey Night Canada and NHL and Sportsnet. Tom Fitzgerald, as I mentioned, will be on at the bottom of the clock. We'll talk plenty about the Jesper Brad extension and also where things stand with Timo Meyer. Arta O'Cal, the MO, is back from ESPN. Talk to him at the top of the next hour. And then, of course, Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic will go over the Flyers, And I want to ask him about hiring former Flyers. It feels like the royal family. If you are a Flyer in your lifetime, you have a chance to run the organization. That's what it feels like. Or the Mafia. Although, if you're in the Mafia, there's also a chance that you can get knocked off. I've watched too much TV. David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada and NHL on Sportsnet joining me now. DA, how are you this morning? I love it. I like that you're encouraging maximum chaos uh, as far as what's going to happen in the offseason because I think it could be a pretty crazy offseason. Well, and we all like, like Jeff always talks about how much he loves chaos. And I, I like chaos because God knows when the end of June and into July rolls around, you know, there's not a ton of news after the first day of free agency. But I feel like we're in a position where this is going to be an off season like we've never seen. And, and I, I mentioned in the open, the buyout window is now open. And I wonder if the buyout window opening and seeing how much teams are willing to eat some money to open up cap space will give us an indication of what the rest of the off season might look like. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's funny. Usually we go in with the anticipation of there's so many big free agent names available. I wouldn't say that's the case this year. I mean, there's, you know, listen, there's a handful of, impact free agents UFAs available. I think it's more about teams, as you said, with the salary cap in mind, trying to shed themselves in contracts or reading the situation where they're, you know, they go, okay, we were, we're, our window of being a strong contender is closing or our window of being a strong contender with this group hasn't worked. Let's see what the other options are. So I think there's going to be a bevy of trades. Last year, you know, the next big thing on the, on the calendar is the draft, obviously coming up in Nashville in a couple of weeks. And I think just like last year, we saw five trades at the draft floor. Uh, you know, the Kirby Doc trade, of course, by Montreal and a few others that followed. I have a feeling we're going to see a lot of activity between now and July 1st and some big names. And that's what I'm most anticipating and most excited about. I think there's a few teams that have a lot of big decisions to make. I love the fact you have Tom Fitzgerald coming on because, you know, they have seven RFAs. They have four USAs. Obviously, Timo Meyer is the number one. Uh, you know, name out there as far as an RFA for their team and what they're going to do. 
And I guess the reports today say that Meyer is looking to get an eight-year deal with New Jersey. So I guess I'm sure you'll be getting to the bottom of that with Tom coming up in about half an hour. But there's just a lot of teams, especially I look at a team like Winnipeg, Matt, and I say, what's happening there? There's three or four or five really big-name players there that, you know, based on what Rick Bonus had to say at the end of the year, uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, it seems like it's a pretty acrimonious situation potentially and something that Kevin Shovelbeoff's going to have to sort of figure out. You know, Rick Bonus is the coach moving forward. You know, what are you going to do with this group that, you know, he basically called out as underachieving at the most important time of the year? I, I do want to get to Winnipeg in just a second because that was the team that I picked as the as one of the most interesting this offseason. But I could make the argument to you that RFAs and potential RFAs are a much prettier list than unrestricted free agents this year because you know you look at you look at buffalo buffalo's got owen power and rasmus Dahlin that are due for extensions um i think i think extensions in general whether they're rfas or you know pending ufas after next season austin matthews probably at the top of that list i think you could make the case that the more interesting deals that we might see on july 1st are the extensions of you know soon to be unrestricted free agents with a year left or restricted free agents who are now eligible for an extension? You, I think you hit it on the head because what GMs are doing, and we've seen this for a while now, is they're taking care of their big name pending UFAs a year in advance, getting these big deals locked down. Uh, so you're not locking them right up to free agency and you're not getting into a situation like we saw in Calgary last year with Johnny Goodrow, where, you know, they couldn't sign them previously and it lingered and lingered and lingered and he, and he essentially walked them down the aisle and then you know jilted them right before the wedding and they were left holding the bag and now Brad Trey Living comes into Toronto and he's taken over a Leaf team where you have Nylander and Matthews and Marner and these guys are up for contract in a year or two and he has to make decisions who did he want to sign long term who potentially would they want to deal and also what cost is it going to be you know, it's not just a matter of wanting players, but what does that mean, right? The salary cap has barely budged in the last five years after the pandemic or with the pandemic. And I, I'm sure when they signed these $11 million deals, they thought, okay, there's going to be a whole litany of guys making $11 million in four years. That hasn't been the case because the, the salary cap hasn't moved. So uh, there's a lot of big decisions. I think you hit it right on the head. I'm sure a lot of GMs are trying to get a sense of the, do those the players that they want to retain, do they want to stay there? If so, long-term, and if so, how much? And they have to then make determinations because come July 1st, certain players like Austin Matthews, uh, from what I understand, can't be moved, right? Is that not the case? It's, After July 1st, yeah. After July Not, not that I'm saying, listen, I want to make it clear, I'm not sitting here saying that Leafs are planning on trading Austin Matthews, but I think they want to know they want to have some level of cost certainty. I'm sure they want to talk to Austin Matthews' agent, Judd Moldover, and say, hey, like, you know, is Austin Matthews interested in staying long-term? If so, how long? If so, at what kind of dollar point are we looking at here so we can figure out the rest of our, uh, the rest of our group and, and how it all would work together? Because it, it has been so tight with the salary cap barely budging, you know, million by, by million year by year as opposed to a big four or five million dollar uh, rise, which pre-pandemic many GMs had anticipated when they were giving out contracts. David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada and NHL on Sportsnet, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So you mentioned Winnipeg in there, and the the one, like, Connor Hellebuck is the seemingly obvious choice here to be the most intriguing player 
on this Jets roster that we really don't know what his future is in Winnipeg. But there are others like Mark Scheifele's on that list. We we anticipate that Pierre Luc Dubois is gone from Winnipeg uh, before the before the off season concludes, and he'll be with a team at the start of next season, probably with some sort of an extension in place. Um, the other guy that I had mentioned to Jeff, and he's still got some term left on his deal, is Nick Ehlers. And Ehlers kind of fell out of favor with the Jets at the end of the season. His ice time started to go down, and and it really felt like it really felt like Rick Bonus was not a big fan. And Nick Ehlers, I believe, is a is a is a really good player. You know, he's at six million dollars for the next two seasons after this. Do you think that that might be a guy that they may exercise in the trade market and just say, let's put it out there and see what we can get for him? Because his value may not be lower, but there were points in the season where we looked at him and went, okay, Nick Ehlers looks like he's back from injury. And then, you know, the ice time dwindles. And then you have questions about, well, what is his future in Winnipeg here? Well, that's interesting. I never, I didn't look at it that way. I didn't look at, I looked at Nick Ehlers as one of the, the key linchpins of the foundation moving forward alongside Josh Morrissey, to be honest with you. I, I think that guy's a difference maker. I think he missed almost the entire year due to injury. He didn't finish the, the, season, uh, the season because of injuries. Uh, and I look at him as a great value guy there. He does so many different things. He's such a creative guy with the puck. He has such a great shot. He does. He just does a lot. Uh, I don't. I don't see him really as a guy. I look at him as a foundational piece. It's interesting that you you reflect on it in, in that vein. I I'd love to hear. You know, I'd love to know. I'd love to be a fly on the wall and know how the Jets feel about him because I think there'd be 31 GMs lined up at six million dollars to have a guy like Nick Ehlers in their lineup. Um, I don't know. I, I think that is the kind of guy you build around alongside Josh Morrissey. I think a lot of the other veterans, you mentioned Dubois, who doesn't want to sign an extension there. You mentioned Hellenbach, of course, there's Wheeler, Shifley, who's coming into the uh, end of his contract as well. So I do think there's a lot of big other pieces in Winnipeg that's probably going to find their way onto other teams. And it's so funny, so much has been made of, of Dubois and his interest in playing for the Montreal Canadiens, which seems like the perfect fit. And Montreal does have the fifth overall pick in what's considered a pretty deep and good draft. So maybe there'll be a match made there, um, and, and that wouldn't get it done. I imagine it would have to be plus, plus, plus or whatever to get Dubois. But uh, that's interesting because the question, I guess, if you're shoving that, uh, Kevin shoveled off is, if you're going to retool or are you going to rebuild? And that would be where guys like Nick Ehlers come in. Are you completely gutting this thing and starting from scratch, or are you going to try and trade assets that, you know, like a guy like Connor Hellebuck who could walk in and be a, a top five goalie on whatever team, uh, an aspiring Stanley Cup team, but asking for assets that could currently fit into your lineup in return as opposed to prospects. Because that's the thing with the Jets. They've always done such a good job of drafting and developing. And if you look at their lineup, it was very funny watching the Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup with one player, one player that they drafted in Nick Hague, right? The Jets, if they ever win the Stanley Cup, it's going to be with essentially 20 players that they've had to draft and develop because they're just not going to be able to, to grab those high-end free agents, the Petrangelos or the Jack Eichels, et cetera. So uh, for Kevin Temple Down, that's a big question. Are they retooling or are they going to be trying to rebuild this thing uh, from the bottom up? Is Winnipeg the most intriguing team for you this offseason, or is there another one that you look at and go, you know what, I, I think that they could be they could be big players, they could be a team that kind of blows things up. Uh, is there another team that kind of stands out to you in that vein? Oh, man, that's an interesting one. I mean, there's certainly, 
Winnipeg's one of the top ones simply because they have such high-end talent, right? But I think you can look at any team that essentially disappointed last year. What about the New York Rangers? There's all these rumblings that they're unhappy with Panarin, who's now, I guess, after Pasternak, the second-highest-paid winger in the NHL. Uh, you know, there was, there was Stanley Cup aspiration to New York, and because they fizzled out in such dramatic fashion against New Jersey, there's a lot of chatter about what they do. You mentioned uh, pending RFAs. Well, what about Keandre Miller, right? What about a guy like him who's going to deserve and ask for a king's ransom uh, in New York, right? And you're already paying Truba a lot. You're already paying Adam Fox a lot deservedly. Can you afford to have three top-tier defensemen making big, big cake? you'll have to probably sacrifice something offensively if that's the case. So uh, there's a lot of big questions there with the New York Rangers. I'm very interested to see how that plays out. You know, Pittsburgh now, you have new management in place. You know, what's Kyle Dubas going to do? He he spoke so uh, with effusive praise to, to Malkin and Crosby and like, hey, I get that. But, you know, if you're if he's being honest and sort of saying, well, how am I going to build around those guys? Like, what, what is the intentions there in Pittsburgh? So that's another team definitely of great interest. And what about the Ottawa Senators, right? So you have new ownership. Um, Pierre Dorian, by all accounts, has done a pretty damn good job and probably deserves to at least be given the opportunity to continue, but who knows if that's going to be the case. And will they suddenly go from a team that's been cash-strapped, you know, if Michael Amblauer is going to pay, you know, in the neighborhood of a billion dollars, I don't think he's going to do that and then maybe be uh, pound-wise, penny foolish. Will they suddenly spend, you know, more towards the cap? You know, you're going to get Josh Norris back. Could potentially Formington could come back. So you're talking about a 20 and a 30 goal scorer returning, but clearly goaltending and the blue line need to be addressed. I'm really curious to see are you know are they ready to move some of these great young assets, uh, one of these great young forwards, and get in a viable number one defenseman uh, that you can build around alongside Shabbat and Shikrin. And, and Sanderson, and that might be literally just a, a big, huge step towards a Stanley Cup, because we did saw with Vegas, right, Matt? You need to have a formidable, star-studded blue line. It just, it's just so hard to win without it. We saw that with Hedman and Sergeyev and the gang in Tampa. We, we saw that, of course, with McCarr and, and everyone else, Cage and everyone in Colorado, and we just saw it now with Petrangelo and all those great defensemen in Vegas. And you know, that's probably the one big stepping stone for the Ottawa Senators. So there's there's a number of questions and a number of teams with big, big things happening this summer. I haven't even mentioned the Leafs, and we all know, you know, how well documented it is. We're, we're wondering and speculating whether the core four will be back or not next year. Yeah, the Senators are super interesting. Like, they've got the Debrinket mm-hmm. situation. They filed for mm-hmm. arbitration yesterday. I, I don't think that that one's going to arbitration. That one feels like okay, we've got something in place here and we've got to make a deal by this date or else, you know, we're going to have to pay him whatever. Debrinket is very interesting because he started off really slow last year, but he really picked it up down the stretch. Like in the second half of the year, he was fantastic. They have paid a boatload to get him and he had, you know, a worse statistical year this year than he did when they acquired him. So it does feel like they might be trading him kind of at a loss right now. Where where would you like to see Alex DeBrinket? Because, you know, Detroit's been mentioned and, and they could use some scoring help. It's got to be a place where obviously he fits under the cap structure. But, you know, what did I guess what did you see from DeBrinket this year that makes you think, okay, the player is still there. He still can be a perennial 35-40 goal scorer. He just maybe needs a different situation. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, he's a very good player. I don't think there's any question in that. It's certainly not time to give up on him and what he could provide for the right team in the right situation. One thing you know about him, he's, listen, he's 25 years of age, and when he plays with good players, he's, he's exceptional. Uh, I guess the question with Ottawa is, again, if Norris is back and healthy, Foreman can, uh, conceivably might be re-signed and, and back in the mix there in Ottawa. We'll have to see how that all shakes down. Uh, and, and you have Shane Pinto and Stutzla and Kachuk, and I can go on and on. They have you know, this incredible uh, list of great young talent. Uh, Dabrinkit might be just a, reti- a redundant guy on a team that clearly needs to get their goaltending and, and defense settled. As far as teams that would like Dabrinkit, I mean, listen, there'd be a, a long line for him as long as the, the price is right because he's sort of a proven, proven commodity, uh, you know, four or five years now, pretty solid production. You know, a team like Nashville, could there be a fit there? You know, it would really be dependent. Uh, you know, St. Louis, right? Ryan O'Reilly's gone. Tarasenko's gone. You know, unless they're going to end up somehow getting those players back, which doesn't seem to be the case, uh, they're going to need some offensive uh, talent to go around, you know, their young players and Thomas and Kyrou, et cetera. So uh, I think there's a whole list of teams that could be potential trade partners with Ottawa. And I think for the Brinker, there could be some really good landing places if, if indeed, you know, his time with Ottawa is going to come to an end. David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada and NHL on Sportsnet, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Barrick Show. The other, the other name that is out there, and we all anticipate that he's going to get dealt, but it's it's going to be one of the more in, interesting deals and how it was put together, and that's for Eric Carlson. Now, we believe that he's going to be dealt. We believe he wants to go to a contender. Uh, Florida's name has popped up in that conversation. But what's interesting here is, how much of what you pay for Eric Carlson depends on how much of that salary you're willing to eat. And, and I think that's where it becomes really interesting. I think he has, he's got, I think four more years at 11 plus on his deal. And then there's the question of, okay, if I'm eating the whole salary, then what do I need to give you in return? Because we're talking about a guy who's likely going to win the Norris trophy this year. He's got multiple, that'll be multiple uh, in his trophy case but there's that big ticket that's attached to it. How do you think that the situation plays out with Carlson in terms of, do you think a team is willing to eat that money or do you think San Jose is going to have to eat a bunch just so that they can get some prospect capital or players that can play right now in return? You know, that that is so interesting because if you're a GM in the NHL, what are you going to buy into? Are you buying into what we just saw from Eric Carlson where he was, you know, just this incredible offensive force, six defensemen ever with 100-plus points. I agree with you. I think he'll win his third Norris of his career. Uh, do you buy into that and believe that? The skating was back. The, the, the puck movement was there and, and everything else he can provide. Or are you a little bit reluctant only based on what the previous three and four years have been like where injury-riddled, underproducing, overpaid? Um, you know, Eric Carlson at his best and healthy – is elite, 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 um, but he hasn't been healthy consistently for you know an extended period of time. So it's really how much of a gamble are you willing to take? And I know there'd be some detractors out there who sort of point to he's not like a shutdown defenseman, right? Like he's not someone. We just talked about the strength of Vegas. The strength of Vegas wasn't because they had these great two-way. Um, defensive players. They had guys who were blocking shots like mad, who could get the puck up to their forwards, who didn't make a lot, who, who insulated their goalie. You know, Aiden Hill had to play well, 
but they blocked more shots than they than they allowed on net in the last two games of the Stanley Cup final, right? Like, that's a pretty good way to go about winning. And, uh, you know, Eric Carlson isn't going to provide that for a team. So I, I wonder, I wonder, um, you know, you, you talk about the dollars and cents, there's very few teams that can fit 11 plus million for a blue liner into their salary cap uh, structure uh, without giving up other things. And if you're a Stanley Cup contender and you're adding an $11 million plus player, where are you going to sacrifice some of, some of the things in that nature? So to me, the deal that would make more sense is you're asking San Jose to eat some portion of it. I, I, what's the maximum it eat, like 50% or whatever the rules in the CBA uh, are outlined as. But um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see what the fit is um, and where Eric Carlson could, could fit in. Uh, I think he'd fit in from a personnel standpoint almost anywhere. Um, but again, as you, you brought up the big point, like I don't think at 11 plus million, it's going to make a lot of sense for most of the Stanley Cup contenders. So as an exercise, I was just thinking about this as you were answering that. As an exercise, what is what is the the path for uh, what you would want to do as a general manager? So let's say it is Eric Carlson that you are acquiring. Would you rather take on the $11 million and and not have to give up maybe your top, top prospects because those guys can come in on a cheap deal, their, their ELCs or whatever, and help you on your roster? Or... Would you rather the other team eat the sa- eat a bunch of the salary to give you salary cap flexibility? Which is more important? Oh, man. I guess it depends on the team, right? Because there's certain teams that have a bunch of guys still on their ELC, and, and you know, there's, there's an ability to essentially at this point maybe add an $11 million guy. But for most Stanley Cup contenders, the heart and nucleus of their team aren't filled with guys on their ELCs, you know, like, it's funny. We just saw Provorov and Severson go to Columbus. Why were they able to do that? You know, especially on, on the, on the, on the tail of, of picking up Johnny Gaudreau. Why are they able to do that? It's because, you know, at this point, I uh, Johnson and um, Cole Sillinger, those players are still on their ELCs. So they don't have to pay those guys right now. So it made it a, a ability to add, you know, a couple of, of fat contracts, big contracts there. Uh, to shore up their blue line. It's really going to have to be the right fit. I don't think it's a one-size-fit-all scenario at all, Maddie. I think I, I really think it depends team to team um, and where you're at with, with your, your nucleus, where you are at with your best players. I mean, that's, that's an interesting conversation I have with Tom Fitzgerald, right? He's probably figuring that out too, right? They've had to pay Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes, uh, and, and now here they are in a situation where, uh, you know, they just uh, – Jesper Bratt, obviously – uh, who's a very underrated player, and they signed him to a nice deal, I think. And now you have Timo Meyer needing to get paid. So it's very difficult to, to try and figure this all out under the guise of, you know, $82, 83000000 million salary cap, which has barely budged in the last four or five years. Um, just uh, one more before we let you go here. So Jerome McGinley joins the, the Flame staff as a special advisor yesterday to Craig Conroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know exactly what the extent of what he's going to be doing, but it does sound like he's going to stay in Kelowna for the year, coach his son, and then and then we'll see where things go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, From afar, do you think that this is just the beginning of something bigger for Jerome McGinley? Maybe one day we see him as a, as a president of hockey ops or a general manager in the NHL, whether it be with the Flames or with another organization. Well, first of all, Craig Conroy, he said this in his introductory press conference, let's create a fun environment to work in. And you know what? He's probably saying to himself, 
let's make it a fun environment to go to work for me personally, right? Like he and Jerome are very good friends. They play together, obviously, a number of years. They have a great relationship. So he's probably thinking, why not, you know, have uh, one of my best uh, allies on board with me. It just makes a lot of sense. Listen, if I owned a company, if I ran a company, one of the first things I would try and do is insulate myself with uh, not friends, you know, friends is part of it, but it's not just about the friendship. It's about people you trust, people you know, people you can collaborate with, people you can work with. It just makes sense. So he's adding Jerome Ginla, uh, this trustworthy ally, uh, that he knows he can, you know, move forward with. They probably have the same mentality in the workplace and, and, and can collaborate really well. And it makes all the sense in the world. And for Jerome, your question about what, what the future holds for him, I think for Jerome, again, that's whatever he wants to do. His focus has been on his, his kids and, and their hockey careers and helping develop uh, them to, to get to meet their dreams. And, you know, within a year, we'll probably see his son as a, as a high draft pick in the NHL. And, and, you know, that dream will almost essentially then start to take on its, you know, won't need Jerome there to, to maybe help uh, nurture it as much as he's had to over the last 17 years. And he can maybe get back to some things that he's interested in. And, you know, getting his name on the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen as a player. Uh, and that unfortunately didn't happen for him, but he certainly as an executive maybe has that same aspiration. We've seen a lot of other uh, executives, you know, Hall of Fame, you know, caliber players following in that, those footsteps, the Joe Sackings of the world, et cetera. So uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if he takes on a, a, you know, a heavier a role with the Calgary Flames or with another organization down, down the road. But uh, it makes all the sense in the world. I think right when Craig Conroy was having that news conference mentioning, you know, creating a fun environment to go to, you know, if there's one smile that's just an indelible smile in the league, or during his time in the league, it's Jerome McGinley because he came to work with a smile on his face. He was all business on the ice. Everyone knows that. But he handled himself in such an incredibly professional way throughout his career. Uh, it just makes sense. It's a good fit uh, for what Calgary's trying to build there and change the, the culture of what was a difficult year this past, this past season. Yeah, very well said. Uh, DA, listen, you've been uh, great with your time, as you always are. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, pray for chaos over the next couple weeks, okay? <laughs> Maddie, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I look forward to it. We're uh, I'm just getting geared up for the draft in Nashville in about what uh, two weeks now. So it's going to be a really special night, especially with Connor Bedard, uh, Adam Fantilli, etc. It's going to be a really fun night for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Uh, enjoy it. Uh, there he goes, David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada and NHL on Sportsnet. When we come back. Tom Fitzgerald, New Jersey Devils executive VP and general manager. He was busy getting a Jesper Brad extension done, and he is going to be very busy this offseason. We'll get into that with him when we come back. Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show, listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. He'll be back on Monday. I don't even know what he's doing today. He's clearly too busy for this show. His own show with his namesake. Uh, yesterday, a bit of business done by the New Jersey Devils as they signed Jesper Bratt to an eight-year, $63 million extension. Note the 63 just happens to be the number that he wears. Ironic? Not sure. Maybe, maybe we'll ask our next guest. Tom Fitzgerald, New Jersey Devils Executive Vice President and General Manager, joins me on the line. Tom, how are you today? 
I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so is the $63 million just a coincidence, or we've seen other deals that include the jersey number of the player in it. Was this merely a coincidence, and that was the number you guys were comfortable with here? Ironically, it was coincidence. Um, <laughs> you know, that was that was the uh, the range where we, we felt uh, was appropriate for Jesper, and um, we got to that number, and yeah, um, lo and behold, Jersey number 63. Yeah, pretty good. Um, so this year, his second straight year of 73 points, and, and and we've seen him grow. Like, he was a sixth-round pick and has, has really turned into one of the better players in the NHL. What's been the biggest area of growth in his game since you started with the Devils? Well, I think every year a player grows confidence, and in, in not only in themselves, but, you know, where they fit in the league. And, I, and Jesper has gotten better each year. Um <clears throat> He's, he gets the, he, he's starting to get into those dirty areas, understanding that, you know, to score more goals, you may have to get in there. It's not a perimeter game. Um, getting, you know, first puck touches on, on, on the, on the forecheck. Uh, that's his strength. You know, when he can get the puck and hold on him, cause he's extremely strong on his skates. Uh, it's tough to get the puck away from defense. Defenseman will tell you that. Um, so those are the, in particular areas that he has grown. He's grown as a leader too. You know, guys look up to him. He's been around since he's been 19 years old. He's only 24. We'll be 25 soon. So he's just hitting the prime of his career. Yeah, he really is. And um, I wanted to, this is more of a, a function of the cap and and how, you know, you have to do business under it. So we see his number come in uh, under Jack Hughes, who's at 8 million. He's coming off an incredible season of his own. And I mean, I think most of us expected that that Bratz number was going to come in lower than Hughes's. But in your mind and, and how you operate, is that the limit at this moment in terms of forwards and their AAV? Like, Jack Hughes is the star. He's the franchise player. He's the guy who was drafted first overall. Is that something that you are conscious about, or is that just part of negotiation? Like some guy, like guys, just do not make more than Jack Hughes. Is that something that you that you believe in, or is there a little bit of wiggle room there? Well, it's not. I don't think it's something I wholeheartedly believe in. I just think when you're, I, first of all, they're all independent contractors when it comes to contracts, right? Like they're all independently doing their thing with their own comps. Um, but sh- you know, I, I'm not considering to tell you when we look at, you know, internally where we are structured wise, um, it's easy for me to say, you know, this guy's going to be under Jack and he's going to be under Jack and this guy's going to be under Jesper. Um, there is a domino effect for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all, they're all independent contractors. Like they, they negotiate their own contract, not because someone, someone has this, like it's a cap. Uh, it's not only a cap world, but it's a comp world. Everybody's comp to somebody um, with a tag, a, a price tag to it that may be higher. Uh, and we may think it's lower because um, everybody has their own comp. So, um, you know, I, I just think when we're team building and that's what I'm trying to do here is team build, uh, you know, against a, a hard cap. It's, um, it's nice to get young players like, Jack and, and Jesper right now tied up for, for the next seven or eight years. You know, Nico's coming up. I'm, I'm working on Timo right now, but, it, but what I will say, like, they're all different. Uh, not one affects the other. Fair enough. Um, so you mentioned Timo Meyer in there. He's coming off of a 40-goal campaign. Um, how would you categorize negotiations right now? I know you guys filed for, for arbitration, and, and again, part of the process, and I'm not, there's nothing to read into there, but I guess, I guess the question is, is there an importance to get this thing done 
before unrestricted free agency opens up so that it gives you an idea of this is what we can and can't do during free agency. I mean, there's other contracts that uh, that I'd like to get to, but um, how do you feel about that? Is that something that needs to get done just so you can kind of, I mean, you have your ducks in a row anyway, but do you need to get that done before July 1st so you know what you're doing going forward? Well, well filing yesterday actually buys us time. You know, with time, you can you can sit back and you can, you know, digest uh, different proposals going both ways. Um, there's there's there is no rest. With that being said, though, the New Jersey Devils have zero intentions on a one year deal with with uh, Timo Meyer. And I know Timo feels the same way. Timo and I spoke yesterday. You know, I'm very transparent with my players. I'm very upfront. Um and just I called them personally and said this is this is part of the process for us. Um, but our goal is to do something quicker. If we can do something ASAP, I'm all in. I am all in. But but really, what it does, it gives us it gives us time. Um, with time, doesn't mean I you know I, I I head over to start working on this RFA or this potential UFA on our team um, because like, I go back to what I just said earlier. They're all independently you know independent contractors we've budgeted for each player so what i go at nate bastian or mike mcleod or timo meyer there it doesn't matter who i i chip off first it's they're all independently they're, they're all different um so but timo knows he knows he knows that we we want him we desperately want him here for eight years and i also know timo wants to be here for eight years Tom Fitzgerald, uh, executive VP and general manager of the New Jersey Devils, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. <clears throat> you mentioned McLeod. You mentioned Bastion there. Like, you've got five restricted free agent forwards, one restricted free agent defenseman, and one restricted free agent goalie in Mackenzie Blackwood. Um, having to get all those things done and potentially be making calls to see what else is out there, would you would you say that this is maybe your busiest offseason since taking over as GM? <laughs> uh, no. Not at all. Every off season is busy. It should call it the busy season <laughs> because, it, but, but it was busy differently. It was busy selling off players. It was busy, you know, preparing for the draft and your first overall picks and interviewing players and going to visit players. Um, it's just a different busy. It's always busy. There's never any slow time at this time of the year, to be quite honest. I remember you saying on, I think it was on this show, actually, you talked about your experience as a fantasy football manager and then, you know, trying to parlay <laughs> that into being, uh, first of all, you made a lot of people very optimistic about their futures in the game because they're fantasy football managers. <laughs> I'll tell you that much for one thing, but th this is a busy time of the year. And um, do, you, do you find time to, to even have like, you know, an hour here or there, because like you mentioned, there's a lot going on. You're preparing for the draft. You've got free agents, you know, you're, you're making calls to other GMs and trying to see what's out there. Um, I know it's enjoyable or else you wouldn't do it, but uh, do you have time in the off season to actually just kind of unwind a little bit? Or is that for after July 1st and, and you can kind of take some time here and there? Great question. You know what? Uh, I, I think I've, I'm getting way better at managing my time and, and let's call it my downtime. Uh, for example, last week I was supporting our amateur uh, staff in Buffalo at the combines for the first three days. I uh, was there uh, Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, I jumped on a flight and met the rest of my family and some friends down in Fort Lauderdale to support my son, Casey, whose team was in the, the Stanley cup finals. Uh, we rented a house. 
Uh, we enjoyed our time. I still worked out of there, but I'd say Friday the phone was off um, and then just, just kind of turned it back on on Monday, but still keeping in touch with my team back in New Jersey. But yeah, I mean, I think I've done a, a, a better job. I think I've been by shutting the phone off here and there. Um, but when it's time to work, it's time to work. Um, so being a fantasy football uh uh, GM has really helped me, uh, you know, manage my time in the off season. Uh, I got to tell you a quick story though. Um, I was the, the guys were getting off the bus in the fall, and I was it was a, it was a Sunday. And I forgot to put my lineup in, and I'm I'm on my phone sitting in the front front left, right behind the bus driver, and guys are getting off to for morning skate wherever we were, and I'm I'm putting in my lineup, and Dawson Mercer walks by me, and I could hear him go. Oh my God, he's a, he plays fantasy football. <laughs> he, he's also a he, he's also a manager in fantasy football. <laughs> that, I just got a kick out of that. That is my because I'm big into fantasy football, so that may be my favorite story of all time. I'm glad that you shared that with us. Um, just aside from because uh, I do want to get back into the conversation about restricted free agents and and another situation with your team, but. I wanted to ask you about the combine and, you know, we've, we've, we hear a lot of stories that come out of the combine, you know, this guy is this and this guy is that, but as a general manager, what, what are your biggest takeaways from the combine? Because I know that a, a lot of it surrounds interviews and, and then there's the, the physical component of all that from a, from a physical standpoint, do you, do you take away a lot from what you learn at the combine and, and how does that weigh in with, you know, when you interview a guy, like if he's got these great physical attributes, but you're kind of wishy-washy on the interview, does one weigh more than the other? Cause I, I, for some reason I have this gut feeling that the interview process is maybe a little bit more important than what you learn physically from these guys. Well, you know, really the most important thing that matters is what we've seen on the ice, you know, during the season. And how we rate these guys and the characteristics that we value as an organization and the boxes that each individual player can check. Um, when you get to the combine, it's just, it, it becomes just a formality. It's, it's, it's personalities, getting to know a kid, understanding them. Is that going to sway? I've never really, I don't think I've ever seen a, a kid go up or down on our list from a combine interview because they're, they're all polished. They're all, you know, um, they've all been coached. Uh, about it and uh it really honestly the number of years that i've been going up there i really haven't seen it sway but um you know you may again i i don't know the players like i used to know the players because i was always i was out in the road scouting whether earlier in my my jersey days and seeing guys and then i could pipe in questions too hey saw you play this game what, were you, what was going on there and what were you thinking um but it's harder for me right now because of because of my my real job um managing <laughs> so uh but I, at the end of the day it's i think it's good for your group to get together kind of you know we'll, we'll bring our sports psychologist up there and ask some questions and you know he can tell tell us if there's some red flags from from him and then and then maybe then we just keep doing deep dives you know it's always a deep dive and you know i think the the teams that draft the best are the teams that actually you know dive the deepest on on people you know like one college coach who i i, I adore said the said to me, you know, you, you always see what the parents are all about because the kid didn't grow up at the neighbor's house, right? So if if, if the dad's a, <laughs> an idiot, the kid's probably going to be an idiot. So <laughs> we do so much deep diving um, and, and really just kind of check, you know, every box when it comes to a player because you, you are making a major investment. Uh, you know, you talked about the polish with these kids today and a lot of them are, are coached and, and we understand all that. 
does that does that make trying to figure out who the kid is with the personality a little bit more difficult now? And and how much do you how much do you wish that sometimes these kids would just kind of maybe open up a little bit? And I'm not saying like emotionally, but like show some sort of personality because that's been one of the knocks in the promotion of the game in general that there are a lot of players that just, you know, don't have big personalities. Like, like for example, Jack Hughes on your team has a big personality. And I think that that is very welcome in today's game. I guess what I'm asking is, does the, does the game need a little bit more of that? Because you see these guys come up from their time playing uh, junior hockey and then into your organization. Is that something that that's much needed or do you think we're in an okay spot right now? Great question. You're right. Jack has a, uh, an incredible personality. He's, he's authentic. You know, he's original, you know, he's genuine. Um, and, and when someone asks him like, so what do you think you guys can do better? And he looks at him and says, you know what, a nine game heater, uh, like <laughs> that's real, you know, that that's real. Um, you know, I, I don't think the game has changed all that much from the day I, you know, started playing and quit playing and, and, and the players before me, it's a very humbling sport. When I say humbling, humble people play the sport of hockey and, and that, they be, hockey families are fantastic. You know, you know, don't forget where you came from, you know, just small little things like that. I think, I think that gets in, I don't ever, like, I would never want to take that away from my own kids. Like just, just remember where you came from. Like just a normal kid. You're, you're very good at what you do and blah, blah, blah. If that's the case, um, a little more personality when you can do some interviews, um, is always wanted. Um, you know, we don't wear helmets. I mean, we wear helmets and masks. Uh, you don't even know what the players look like, really. Um, but at the end of the day, you know what? Hockey players in general are are down to earth, very humble, um, and uh, you gotta you gotta credit mom and dad for for upbringing. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. Uh, okay, one more before we let you go here. Um, the goaltending situation, and we saw the highs and lows with your team last year, uh, specifically Akira Schmid in the playoffs showed some really incredible talent and obviously something that you guys know you've got Mackenzie Blackwood, a restricted free agent. Um, do you, do you envision a scenario where Akira starts the next year in Utica and you have Vitek Vanacek and Mackenzie Blackwood as your two goalies when the season starts? I would, I would tell you this, our organization will be comfortable with that. Um, you know, where Vitek, uh, you know, he had a very good year. Um, numbers don't lie. Uh, Kara Schmidt, we've seen growth from like, two years ago, or we'll call it three, but literally two years ago, he was in the USH, finishing up in the USHL, jumping into pro hockey, got off to a fantastic start in, in Utica, uh, breaking records as an organization, uh, best start ever in the American League of all time. Um, get some call-up games, a little humble pie, Um and then just the maturity he, he showed this year coming in, the confidence, the poise. Um, and that's, a, I'll tell you, that's a, that's a ripple effect through your, through your lineup too. People, guys see that and they feel more comfortable. You know, maybe they take a little bit of a, a risk uh, here or there, knowing that the last line of defense is, is, uh, is, is confident and poised. So, but he doesn't need waivers either. So, you know, how do you go about the business of it? And, and that's something we're wrestling with be quite honest we're wrestling with this right now um what's going to be best for kira which in turn what's what's best for our organization 
Well, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the honesty. Um, listen, you spent a lot of time with me today. I greatly appreciate it, and uh, I wish you good luck with your fantasy football season. Hockey is one thing, and we know I wish you all the best with that. But fantasy football is where it's at, and I know people are going to be texting me going, "You think I have a future as a GM because I run a fantasy football team?" And my answer would be no. Uh, but Tom, you're doing a great job with the Devils. Uh, they're a fun, young, and up and coming team, and I, I I can't wait to see what you guys do this off season. Thanks a lot for taking some time for me today. Greatly appreciate it. There he goes. Tom Fitzgerald, executive VP and general manager of the New Jersey Devils. You look at that Devils organization and they've already got Jack Hughes and they've got Jesper Bratt and Timo Meyer and Dougie Hamilton and um, uh, they've got Luke Hughes and Simon Nemich is going to come up and maybe Alexander Holtz and holy smokes, when you look at that team... It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Like, they were a lot of fun to watch this year. We remember that run that they went on, you know, 10-plus games, and everybody's looking at them going, okay, are, are these guys for real? We saw Dougie Hamilton have a really, really incredible year. Jack Hughes was phenomenal and and really evolved into the player that I'm not sure a lot of people thought he was going to evolve into. And I, I've said this story, I believe, on this show before. I remember being down... Uh, when they did the uh, the draft lottery at the CBC. And I remember being down there and seeing Jack Hughes walk through the hallways with Agent Pat Brisson. I went, how is that guy going to go first overall? He was tiny. But that was what we believed couldn't play in the NHL. And let me tell you, Jack Hughes has changed that narrative in a big, big way because he is absolutely incredible thank you very much to tom fitzgerald for taking some time for us and thank you to the new jersey devils for making him available when we come back arda ocal the mo returns to the jeff merrick show we'll talk about what teams are intriguing this offseason we'll talk about what vegas's win means for the health and future of the nhl all that and more when we come back with Arta Ocal from ESPN. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick. You're listening and watching the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two, the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in with you for today. Jeff will be back on Monday. I mean, he's going to work next week. Then he's getting ready for the draft and free agency. Jeff is a busy man. I'm sure he's, uh, I'm sure he's out and about enjoying the wonderful weather. He went on. A, I'm sure he went on a run this morning too. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with Jeff, pre-show conversations while he's on a run. I bet you Jeff can't wait till the off season then he doesn't have to talk to me anymore. He's really looking forward to that. Uh, but one guy that I know who is looking forward to talking to me, or at least I'm going to assume that he is, is one half of the mo Arta Ocal from ESPN, Mr. Ocal. How are you today? I'm doing great. I always look forward to talking with you here on the show, the MO, as it is known. And I'm sure Jeff is listening to us while he's on a jog. 
And uh, he's like, man, the NWO is taking over the show. <laughs> as it should, Matt, as it should. Good to be here, bud. So so is Jeff uh, or Greg Wyshynski Sting, and who is Diamond Dallas Page and all of that? Well, we're going to get Wish to repel from the rafters in full, <laughs> like, crow face paint and a baseball bat. And, uh, yeah, that's what's going to happen for sure. We're going to have to have, like, a crossover episode at some point. Oh, could you imagine? That's a, that's a longer conversation. We got to get we got to get like the agents involved so that we can you know finalize the documents. But it's going to happen one day. We're going to have a giant cross. So maybe it'll be a live event in Toronto or something. Yeah, honestly, the head to head between the MO and MVSW. Now that is a tag team match I that I think it. people would love to see. Um, I love it. Okay, so on the hockey front, because I know we could probably talk wrestling for hours. Um, I put this out there as our QOD, and I, I just wanted to get your take on, on this as well. Um, most intriguing team this off season for you or, or player for that matter. So I, I've been listening to uh, the interviews prior to me, uh, David Amber mentioning the senators. That's a really good one. Uh, I, so the two teams that I, obviously the Leafs are a big one, right? With, with what they have coming up with Matthews and Nylander, et cetera. What do they do with Luke Chen, Ryan O'Reilly, et cetera. But for me, two teams that I have my eye on number one, the Buffalo Sabres. I, they have lots of cap space. They have fantastic pieces. They have Tate Thompson locked up for a long time at a great price. It looks like a fantastic price for years to come at 7.1. Uh, Devin Levi uh, proved that he could be a starting goaltender, or at least deserves a look as a starting goaltender for a considerable amount of time. I feel like they have some room to play with. They have some good pieces on the blue line, of course, as well, with a couple number one draft picks with Darlene and Owen Power. I feel like they... I know that the unrestricted free agent pool this summer is not as sexy as it has been in the past, but maybe this team is one or two trades away from really not only not only making it to the postseason, quite frankly, because they were competitive in March. And that's when was the last time the Sabres were, you know, fighting for a playoff spot in March. Like it, it was refreshing to see for one of the most, you know, passionate fan bases for the NHL and all the leagues. So I feel like there's definitely some optimism there, and I have my eye on if, if you If you're holding me to one answer, it's the Sabres for me, for sure. Yeah, I had Winnipeg and Buffalo. Like, we kind of talked about this on the show yesterday, and I had Buffalo on that list as well, just because, and for the exact same reasons that you mentioned. Like, they were playing meaningful games late in the season, which, you know, like you said, we haven't seen in a long time. But when you look at how that team is structured, They've got Darlene and Power and Matias Samuelson. Now, here's where I think it gets really interesting, especially come July 1st, because I think the Darlene extension is maybe a little bit more straightforward, like get him in at a, at a number at eight years. Um, I think they would want to do the same thing with Owen Power, but there's not as much of, there's not as much of a, a, a body of work with Owen Power. And that's where I think that extension is going to be interesting and how it plays into, you know, how much cap space they'll have to play with. Yes, we expect the cap to go up after this season and and that'll kind of indicate where things are going. But the Sabres have a lot of pieces up front that I think other teams want. And I think, and, and while Tage Thompson, I believe, is a star, I think they could use another star up front. I know they've been maybe linked to another defenseman, but when I look at what that team needs... They, I think they've got the goalie. I think they've got two, really. Like, Uka Pekalukinen is is good. I think Devin Levi is going to be very good. But I think they could add another star forward up front to go with 
Thompson and and Tuck and Skinner and Paterka and Quinn. Like they are they are a team on the rise. But if I were to make a bet, I think that they would make a splash up front because that would be the most intriguing, and that's where they have the most pieces to deal from. And and also that goes back to your point about Winnipeg. And and by the way, let's all as a collective thank the Winnipeg Jets for making the offseason even more interesting. Yeah, no okay? kidding. Let's thank the players. Let's thank the Winnipeg Jets uh, because with all of the news, whatever the whatever the reasons are, whatever the reporting is out there, the fact is we're talking about some heavy duty players that may not be wearing Jets sweaters come the start of next season and as a hockey fan as a neutral observer maybe not so much for a Jets fan but it's a lot of fun to speculate and 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 add some fuel to the fire some spice to the steak for the offseason conversations so yes you know when you have names like uh Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler and uh you know Bandy to the Connor Hellebuck of course uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois I should say uh you know being bandied about with possible new home, new destinations. The one team I haven't heard really much about are the Sabres. And, you know, they could, they, they, they could certainly be in that mix to your point about them needing another star forward or, you know, 30, 40 goal generator to, uh, to join that lineup. Well, there, there are some available, at least in the headlines. Yeah, for sure. Arda Ocal, um, ESPN and of course uh, one half of the MO cannot forget. Um, so when I when I looked at most intriguing players, like I, I had mentioned Vince Dunn yesterday, and we didn't we weren't able to get into it just because of time restraints. And the only reason why I said Vince Dunn was because I'm curious to see how many years Ron Francis will go because he's never signed a player to an eight year extension. So Vince Dunn would kind of fit that mold in Seattle. But the guy that I am the most intrigued about is not in the NHL right now and he will be and that's going to be the first overall pick in Connor Bedard and not because I want to see you know what he can do on the ice come this coming season I want to see what the Connor Bedard effect is on bringing in players and maybe this year is not the year that we get to see it the most maybe it's next offseason where the unrestricted free agent market becomes a little bit more interesting but I do wonder what kind of an impact Connor Bedard has on bringing in other players because, you know, as you know, there is an ego attached to professional sports and some guys want to go to a team and be the guy. But when you are going to Chicago from now going forward, probably in for the next at least 10 years, that guy is going to be Connor Bedard, we expect. What kind of impact do you think a player like that coming in has on bringing in other players in the in the immediate future and maybe not so much in two or three years down the road? I think it's mutual. Well, first of all, speaking of impact, and I know this isn't directly the players, but look how much money he generated in ticket sales yep. an hour after the Hawks won the lottery, right? What was it, like upwards of $5 million or something approaching that number? It was in the millions, like an hour, two hours after the, the Hawks won the lottery. So Connor Bedard obviously already has an immediate impact. There's already Bedard jerseys in the wild. I think we saw a couple in the Santa Cup final in the audience. So it was just hilarious. But to me, I think it's mutual. I think that the Hawks would want veterans that have good sensibility about them, that play the game right, that can, can, can help mold Bedard just as much as players would want to play with a superstar player. 
especially those who want success in the league. I feel like anyone that plays on a line with him uh, is going to like, that's the thing. Like some players just immediately improve your stat line because you're playing with them, right? You, you become better by osmosis simply because you're in their orbit, right? A rising tide floats all boats in a way. So who wouldn't want to play on a line with uh, the next generation superstar, right? You know, like, and so I feel like the impact will be immediate. It will be tangible. And I think there are plenty of players in the NHL that don't have that, I guess for lack of a better term, ego to say, I need to be the number one guy. So I'm going to avoid playing in Chicago, even though it might add 20 points or 30 points to my total. And I could hit bonuses and I could negotiate a better contract as a result. And I'm having more fun playing because I'm playing with a, with the best among the best player who could perhaps be the best player in the NHL one day. So I, to, to answer your question directly, I feel like, it, it, it will be symbiotic. It will be mutual, like the Hawks and Bedard and players that want to play there. I think the answer absolutely is yes. Yeah, it is going to be really interesting because, you know, I, I made the point, I think I, I think I said this on Calgary Radio in an interview, and, you know, I was asked about the Connor Bedard impact and, and what's going to happen. And, and I said, like, yes, he's going to be a great player, but if I were to put odds on, like, if I were to place a bet and I am a betting man, I would place my bet on Adam Fantilli winning the uh, Calder Trophy next year over Connor Bedard. First of all, the odds would be better. But secondly, when you look at the difference in the teams, as they're currently constructed right now, I think that there's a better path to individual success for Adam Fantilli based on the players surrounding him rather than what Connor Bedard has in Chicago. And that's no disrespect to the organization in Chicago and what they've done because they blew that thing right out of the water. Like, it is pretty bare bones. I'd be curious to see what they do at the draft if they maybe want to try and add some talent now. But as it stands right now, I think Adam Fantilli probably has the bigger impact in year one, points-wise anyway. But obviously, we expect Connor Bedard to be a generational talent. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. He Fantilli is going into a situation where there's already other big spotlights on that team, right? Like Zegris and... Uh, Troy Terry and like, there's a lot of great pieces on that team. They didn't have the success this season, obviously, but there's still uh, a lot. There, there's possibilities of creating a fantastic line, uh, offensive minded line. And you put Fantilli in a situation like that and he's going to excel. So yes, if from, from a short term effect, uh, if especially if the, uh, the, it's a good number for sure, Fantilli would be a very wise uh, bet for sure in that situation. But long-term, I feel like the Blackhawks look at this and it's not a one-year thing for them, obviously, right? So they're, they're, they're saying, how can we, what, what, is, what are the things that we need to put around this guy so that he can succeed, we can succeed, and it will be a, uh, a long-term arrangement such that the team wins multiple Stanley Cups and Connor Bedard is at the center of it raising them. So, you know, I, it's almost better that he's going into a situation where the team is is as bare bones as it is, like or as as starting from the ground up. You know, it's almost like a complete reset uh, with with the likes of Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane not there per se, right? Like it's almost like that the era has shifted. So it's like from that era, the dynasty era, to now the Bedard era, and you can start fresh. And it's almost 
I, I feel like many Blackhawks fans are very excited about that and would actually prefer it that way if, if you're looking at the trajectory of the team and how it's, how it's been. I also big up Adam Fantilli because we grew up in the same hometown. Shout out Nobleton, Ontario. So I, I'm, so I'm, so I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I have a lot, ri- I have a lot riding on this. Um, uh, big, big news, by the way. Uh, Adam Fantilli joined us earlier in the season, and he said, I don't know if this is still the case, but at the time, he was planning to wear a suit at the NHL draft inspired by uh, an Evander Kane photo shoot. I think it was like a striped charcoal suit. Maybe it was for... Uh, GQ, one of the fashion magazines. So if anyone wants to look that up, apparently that at the time, that's what Adam Fantilli's inspiration was going to be for the draft. We'll, well see if that happens. Well, hopefully he can pull it off. Cause I know I certainly couldn't, couldn't pull off anything in GQ, especially, <laughs> especially with this mustache. Um, okay. So uh, I, w- I wanted to kind of circle back on the, on the cup final and the playoffs as a whole. Like, how would you, how would you, like, if you were to give a letter grade, on the Stanley Cup playoffs as a whole, what would you give it? Because the first round is always fantastic. There's always incredible storylines. The series are great. But we know as the playoffs go, the hockey tends to get, I don't want to say worse, but it's certainly different. It's a little bit slower. Guys are hurt. We know all those storylines. Um, letter grade for the for the playoffs, How what would you give it? As a diehard hockey fan, a B plus. Like I like I liked the final, the story of the two teams uh, in the final, one of them was the I can't believe, like they haven't made it since '96. The improbable team they knocked off the greatest regular season team in history. They knocked off three of the strongest teams in the entire league, and then they faced another strongest team, the leader of the Western Conference in the final. Uh, Matthew Kachuk was embracing a spotlight. He's getting interviews in People Magazine, and he's on the uh, NBA on TNT set with Shaq and Charles Barkley. Like I, 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 I love that vibe. From, from the Panthers. And then on the Vegas side, you had this dominant team that really doesn't know heartbreak. They missed the playoffs once. They've been to the conference final four times, second trip to the Stanley Cup. Now they've won a cup in their first six seasons. Like, I just, I liked it from a hardcore hockey fan, like, you know, hockey nerd perspective. I'm sure many people feel the same way. Um, maybe it didn't resonate from a large market slash mass appeal perspective as much as, uh, one would hope, or at least at least as compared to previous years. But I was, I mean, covering it, I had a blast. There was a lot to talk about. So that's how I would, that, from my lens, the way that I'm viewing it, I was happy with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I would give it a, a B plus. I think, I think if the final had a little bit more intrigue in terms of how, like, length of series, I think that would have bumped it up a lot higher. Like, if that, if that goes seven, which I think, a lot, I mean, I thought it was, but then you find out how banged up Florida was, and you're like, okay, it makes sense why it ended in five. But I, I think that is is the difference. Now, the impact of Vegas winning a cup in their first six years is, I feel like it's a profound one because we've seen, and, and this is varying degrees of success. We know that Seattle struggled mightily last year, but they went out, they eliminated the cup champions this year. They pushed the Dallas Stars, who... Are, we're a very good team. And so you can say that that is so far a successful franchise. The Vegas Golden Knights are the poster child for franchise success in their first, you know, six years of since inception. What does that do for other 
people trying to or looking into buying sports franchises like are we at a point now where people look at the NHL and go that my money is going to go further quicker now the price tag has probably gone up with the sale of the Ottawa Senators and 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 maybe that number is 900 million I know Jeff talked about you know a billion dollars for an expansion franchise how do you think that that changes the mindset for people because of the rules that are in place that if you choose, you can be successful right away. Well, it, I, definitely from that lens, absolutely. If it, I would invest in a hockey team first over any other major league for that reason. The, the, the level of parity, if, if other expansion teams are to come into the league and imagine that scenario, okay, let's create the hypothetical that we're going to increase and there's a bunch of owners that are like, we want to get into the league and we'll pay the billion-dollar fee, um, you know, whatever it's going to cost to get in the expansion fee slash the team, whatever. Absolutely. The Vegas Golden Knights are a perfect example. The Seattle Kraken had the biggest glow-up from year one to year two in history, like 40, plus, 40 points uh, difference from 60 to versus 100 year one to year two. But And also even the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now they're, um, the owners are selling a minority stake in the valuations at, what, like one point. Four billion yeah. or something to that effect. Like the numbers are staggering, and, and and look where they were even ten years ago. So if you're purely an investor, you're looking at that saying, "Wow, like this is very favorable, uh, you know, for for as an investment as something that I can really sink my teeth into if I want to get into the sports investing realm." Absolutely, that's a really good uh, thing to take to take a look at. But but yeah, it's proven now. It's proven that the uh, that that you can have immediate success and parity exists and y- you you absolutely if you're an investor would be looking at that. So 32 teams in the league right now. What how many are you comfortable with here? Like if they were to expand, is is 34 as far as we are willing to go here? Because there is always the concern about depleted talent pools. Now you can make the argument that. You know, there are guys that are playing in the AHL that just need an opportunity and that opportunity hasn't presented itself yet. But how many teams are you comfortable with this league going to? Or are you happy with 32? I, yeah, that's a really good question. The the, the more teams you add in, now you're pulling from different leagues and and, uh, the argument is that you're almost diluting the pool. But you're also generating more interest in these markets in hockey, right? And to your point, maybe there are a lot of AHL players that are NHL ready. They just need an opportunity and they're not getting it in the current organization that they're in. So 30, I mean, I'm uh, the way I know that we're on a Toronto, a Canada radio station. I understand the point of an expansion team going to, let's say, Houston versus a second team in Toronto or Quebec city. I get the counterpoint to that saying, you're not going to create an extra fan by going to Quebec city. You're not going to create an extra fan by adding a second team in Toronto, even though the hockey related revenue for a second team in Toronto, we all realize would be through the roof that no one's debating that. I'm certainly not debating that. I I fully understand that. And I agree a thousand percent. The other point is, I do feel like the opportunity exists to create new fans. So I I get that side of the argument as well, right? And I feel like that argument really gets uh, battled based on where you live and based on how you grew up. And like, 
I see both sides of it now because I live in the States and I hear that side of it a lot more than I do the Canadian side of it, which I grew up hearing the entire, my entire uh, youth, right? Growing up in the hockey bubble and, and hearing all of the Canadian side of the argument. So I get it. I completely do. And I see the value in both. So if it were 34 teams, if it were one team in a Canadian market that would bolster revenue immediately and then one team in a market that is non-traditional or has never had a hockey, uh, an NHL team. I think I would be fine with that. I don't know exactly where the, the scale tips to the quality uh, further degrades, you know, like I, I, that I don't have the answer to. Uh, I feel like in some situations, we like certain games of the season now feel like it's like the AHL all-stars uh, being uh, put on the ice sometimes, right? Mm. So uh, I, I do feel like uh, there are certain situations in which we are already there, but does that mean that we res- that the level of teams, number of teams get restricted? Who knows? Uh, ju- this is this is uh, more mm-hmm. of a fun exercise than anything. But I was just I was just thinking about this, and you know we talk about expansion and and the rules that are in place to you know. You can be successful if you choose to right away. So here's here's a, a a hypothetical question for you: Would which team would you rather be the GM of the Leafs and their salary caps? And you could insert whatever team here. I just picked Toronto because there's a there's an aspect to this that I'm, I want to get to um, the Leafs and their salary cap situation, but also having the stars that they do, or be the GM of the 33rd franchise in let's say Salt Lake City with a fresh start. Uh, no contracts, and you can kind of build it how you would like to. Granted that it's through the expansion draft, and you're not going to necessarily have star power right away. So let's assume my salary is the same yes. in both jobs. <laughs> yeah, assume okay. that sure. that's the case. <laughs> if if that's the case, that now comes down to: Are you what kind of person are you? Are you somebody that wants to? Uh, go down in history and, and be, you know, glorious in the sense that you helped, you know, one of the longest droughts in history in the most passionate, one of the most passionate markets in the league. You're picking Toronto all day from that point of view. Uh, are you somebody that loves to start things fresh and build from the ground up literally? And just like you have your fingerprints on this. And if a Stanley cup is won then it's literally pointed directly at you. And there's like no precedent before that. Then you're picking the Salt Lake city team uh, from a, you're getting a lot more pressure in Toronto, uh, a lot more probably stress in Toronto than the Salt Lake city situation. Me personally. I mean, I guess, I guess like if I'm looking at it from a business perspective, I, I like the idea of building things from a ground up. So I feel like, it would be more fun to, to, to do that. Like I, to, if you were the GM of the, you know what I mean? Like if, if, if you're there since the beginning and then you get to sell, you get to see the Stanley cup one, I think that's pretty cool. So like, I would say the Salt Lake situation has the edge for that reason, but also like, the, like if Bradshaw living wins a Stanley cup with the Leafs, like that's going to go down in history. Like there'll be statues made, you know? So there's also that part of it too. And he's, it's a really good job. And he is, he has a really cool, like a really interesting challenge for a GM. I feel like if you've been a GM in the league for a long time and 
you know, he's already had interesting challenges. Look at his last off season, right? Like it was, it was a puzzle piece in itself. And he now presented this puzzle piece with the core four and what happens with Matthews, what happens with Nylander, what happens with the UFAs this year? Like there's a lot of interesting decisions to be made in the next year or two. So I feel like that's also a really cool thought experiment and job challenge. So, you know, Brad, I'm sure Brad Living is, is, uh, is diving into head first and he's, it's really interesting to him and it would be interesting to me too, like personally, but I would say my personal preference would probably be the Salt Lake one just cause I'd be starting from scratch. Yeah. I, I think it would be, a, I think it would be a super interesting job to have starting a, an NHL franchise from scratch. Uh, Arda, you spent a lot of time with me today. As always, I appreciate it. The MO is back and I'm sure it'll be back very shortly. Thanks Phil, so much for taking some time. Appreciate it, man. You know why Jeff isn't working today is because he's printing us the T-shirts. Yes, that's, that's it. The MO still- T-shirts. He's at the printing <laughs> press. He's making it happen for us at the merch the merch shop. Appreciate yeah. it, Jeff. You're the man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We greatly appreciate Jeff making T-shirts for us on his own show. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Matt. You're the man. Thanks, yeah. Arda. There he goes, Arda Okal from ESPN, one half of the MO. So I threw this out there uh, at the begin, uh, well, earlier this morning. Um, just following up from yesterday, which team or player are you most intrigued by this offseason? Uh, some really interesting ones here. Uh, Ali Kassam says, player Evan Bouchard. Now, Evan Bouchard, restricted free agent, 23 years old, coming off of a fantastic playoff. What is Evan Bouchard's number? Like, are the Oilers just comfortable going, yep, here's eight times eight. Off we go. You'll be a free agent when you're 31, and we'll figure it out then. I do wonder if he's shown enough, especially after the trade with um, with Nashville that brought in Matthias Ekholm, and we saw the improvement in in his game. Uh, as per teams, uh, Jets and Flames, those ones are are pretty straightforward here. Uh, Calgary's got a lot of decisions to make with guys with one year left on their deals, and Winnipeg has some stars that they be maybe moving out. We anticipate that they'll be moving out. Very, very interesting offseason uh, for Canadian teams across the board, as pointed out by uh, by James from Offside Hockey Talk. All the Canadian markets, really, each one of them has a pressing issue or some sort of turnover that has to be addressed. We look at, you know, Ottawa's got the Debrinket situation, and, and what do they do in net? We talk about Montreal and their goaltending situation, and do they start maybe trying to add some veteran guys? Do they try and move out? Uh, a Brendan Gallagher or Josh Anderson. How does that all fit in with their young core? Uh, the, the Leafs has been very well documented. Jets and Flames the same. What does Edmonton do with guys like Yamamoto and and Warren Fogle? Do they try and go out? What about Cody Cece? Vancouver, they still have questions from last year. And so there, there's a lot of of storylines here that, uh, that are going to be very, very intriguing to watch uh, one of those storylines across the NHL that is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And they've already gotten started. Uh, the Philadelphia flyers. They've, they've been busy this off season. They have their GM and president in place. They added more to the front office. They traded away what was once thought to be a franchise defenseman. So what's next? Charlie O'Connor from the athletic will join me and we will discuss that Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick show, listening on the Sportsnet radio network, watching on Sportsnet now and Sportsnet 360. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Well, welcome back. Jeff Merrick Show. Last segment of the week. Uh, just some breaking news. The Winnipeg Ice of the Western Hockey League have been sold and will be relocated to Wenatchee, Washington. Uh, there just happens to be an NHL franchise in the state of Washington as well. Hockey on the rise in Washington. I've been reading a bunch that uh, apparently the expansion into Wenatchee was talked about for a while, had some success with the North American Hockey League franchise there. Then they got into the BCHL. Very interesting that the WHL moves further west as the Wenatchee franchise will be starting play, I believe, next season. Um, In other news, maybe not so current, but the Philadelphia Flyers have been very, very busy this offseason, whether it be the front office or making a trade for what was once thought to be a franchise defenseman in Ivan Provorov. The the, the news out of Philadelphia has not been sparse, that's for sure. Uh, Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic covers the Philadelphia Flyers and joins me on the show now. Charlie, how are you today? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for jumping on. And and like I mentioned, it's been, you know, it was it was the hiring of, of Daniel Briere taking away the interim tag and then and Keith Jones being named president. And then they trade away Provorov and then they they add well they add uh, you know, Patrick Sharp and John LeClaire to the to the front office. Would you categorize this this offseason so far as a step in the right direction for the organization? I would say yes. Um, that said, we'll see, you know, how the next couple of years go. It's, it's kind of hard to judge it in the, in the here and now, you know, before we know whether any of these people they've hired are actually going to be really good at their jobs. Um, so I would say it is a step in the right direction for the sole reason that it shows that the organization has finally acknowledged that the team is in need of a rebuild. Uh, both in terms of on the ice and in terms of restructuring of the organization. I think that was long overdue. You know, for, for quite a few years, the Flyers seem to be in this half in, half out. Well, we're competing, but also we know that we're not great right now. And what ended up happening was no one was really happy. It, it all started to turn around February when the organization, uh, led by John Tortorella, who actually put his name on this letter, you know, more or less said that we know we're going to turn this around. It was moving towards the uh, the mentality of a rebuild. Slowly but surely, it seemed like the organization was coming around on it. Then Chuck Fletcher was let go after the trade deadline. Danny Breer jumped in, basically was the first person with the organization to use the word rebuild. Now it seems like the entire organization is on board. So I would say that solely for that reason, because now they have an overarching plan that isn't just putting band-aids on a problem. I would say it, they're, they're turning in the right direction. However, it remains to be seen whether the people they've hired to execute this rebuild will actually be able to pull it off. And that's not a criticism of them. That's just saying that we don't know. And it's going to come down to whether, you know, they make the right moves and really get this thing turned in the right direction. What did you make of the the Provorov deal? Because I don't think I don't think anybody was really caught off guard. His time in Philadelphia really did feel like it had come to an end. And and what was once thought to be you know the franchise stud on the back end. Hey, I was one of them that thought that that was going to be the case. Is now in Columbus. Um, did you like the return? Like I know they had to take on Cal Peterson's contract, and and we'll see how that all kind of fits in 
to to the to what happens with their roster but you know acquiring a couple of draft picks and and really you know set, starting this this rebuild on its course um what did you think of the return I thought the return was solid you know especially given the circumstances of Provorov the way I look at this deal is I kind of view it as two separate deals. They got a first and a second round pick back from Columbus for Provorov, and then they got um, two seconds essentially, or a second and Helge Grand's the prospect from LA for taking on those those uh, um, you know essentially capsules, Sean Walker and Cal Peterson. Now, if you're looking purely at the Provorov side of the deal, I think a first and a second is pretty good value for Provorov, given the fact that really he's coming off three straight down seasons. He hasn't been the best version of himself since 2019-2020. And in addition to that, teams around the league knew that Provorov, while he hadn't explicitly requested a trade, demanded a trade, he would welcome a change of scenery. He he hadn't quite clicked with John Tortorella. He didn't love the idea of, of sitting through a rebuild. And he really wasn't particularly popular in the Flyers locker room. And I think, you know, teams around the league knew that. So you're looking at a guy who is coming off three straight down years, doesn't really fit in his current market. And Breer was still able to get a first and a second for him, which is pretty comparable to, you know, the deals that, that, uh, you know, they, that teams have made for Matias Ackholm, Jacob Chikrin. Um, Provorov probably shouldn't have brought that much back because of the fact that his value is pretty deflated. And the fact that Breer was able to get a pretty comparable package back for him, I think Breer did a good job. Now, granted, Breer had to take on those contracts, and you could argue that maybe he could have extracted a little bit more from L.A. for taking on particularly the Peterson deal, which looks pretty ugly, both in terms of cap hits and real money. There's a big bonus coming up later this summer that has to be paid, and Flyers are on the hook for that. But in terms of facilitating this deal for Provorov and getting good value back for Provorov, I think that was kind of what Rear was thinking, that, you know, yeah, I might not be getting the most possible for taking on these these salaries, but if this is the way that I'm going to be able to get maximum value back or Provorov, it's worth it. So on the whole, you know, not a perfect deal, but in terms of getting a fair amount back for a pretty distressed asset in Provorov, I think Breer did a good job. Uh, Charlie O'Connor here from the athletic joining Matt Marchese on the Jeff Merrick show. Uh, so I mentioned bringing in a couple of more former flyers. They bring in Patrick Sharp, whose career as a flyer was not super long, but still a former flyer. Uh, and the same thing with John LeClaire. And we know John LeClaire's history with the organization, one of the greatest goal scorers that they've ever had. Um, what is it about this franchise and sticking with alumni to run the day-to-day? Like, is there is there another organization that you can think of that is so enamored with this line of thinking? Because I look around the league, and maybe it's just because it happens so often with the Flyers, but I look around and say, this is a front office that is largely built on, almost entirely built on, having former Flyers in it. Like, is that something <laughs> that is part of of what ownership wants? Like, I just don't get it. Yeah, you're not the only person who is uh, who has expressed that sentiment. Let me put it that way. Um, what I'll say is that yes, ownership does view that as important. Um, it's definitely something about this market. The Flyers have always been like this, dating back to you know their their former owner and founder Ed Snyder. You know they were always an organization that focused on you know taking care of their own and keeping people in the fold. And you know you're a Flyer forever, that sort of thing. And I do think that there was a feeling, you know, 
part of partly from the fan base, partially from from alumni, partially just people frustrated with how poor the team was playing was that the Flyers had kind of lost their way. And I do think that part of this is them trying to make the case that the Flyers are back in a sense. So I do think that's part of it. But I, I look, I agree with you. The, the Flyers and I and I've gone back and you know looked at essentially you know, how many former Flyers are in the organization, Um, Broad Street Hockey, the blog, looked at this a few weeks ago, and the Flyers do have by far the most um, former, you know, former players in positions of authority in the front office. So this isn't something that everyone does. This is unique to the Flyers. And I think it's fair to, to criticize it or at least be skeptical of the process that gets you there, because it's fair to wonder if, you know, if you're actually getting the best people or if you're just getting the best people that happen to have worn the sweater. Um, now, that's not to say that some of these people won't be great at their jobs. You know, Danny Briere might be a fantastic general manager. Keith Jones, you know, I know Keith Jones personally. He's a really smart hockey guy. He might be a great president of hockey operations. But the question is, is that, you know, could you have found better people for those positions if you opened it up to people who weren't former flyers? And that's something that, you know, the, the people that have been hired are going to have to prove. They're going to have to prove that, you know, they didn't just get the job because they played for the team, that they got the job because they are the right people to fix this mess in Philadelphia. And I think another thing that ownership would argue, and this again, just comes down to whether you buy it or not, is that, you know, people that played for the Flyers and have that emotional investment in the team are going to be better at fixing the flyers because number one, they know what it's like when the flyers are good. Number two, that they're just going to be more, more motivated because they are more emotionally invested. Now, whether that has, you know, whether you buy that is, is your opinion, but I can tell you that I think the ownership believes that that's the case. Yeah. it's uh, So I likened it, I likened it earlier to uh, the Royal family or the mafia. Like if you are in it, you have a chance to run it basically. Um, so if you are a flyer, you are a flyer for life and you have a chance to, to run the organization. And I'm not, this is not, it's, it's more of a joke than anything. Like I, I have yeah. the utmost confidence in Danny Breer and Keith Jones. I like both of them, especially in my dealings with them. And I do wish them all the best, but where does the fan base's loyalty on this come in? Because I know a few flyer fans and they're very adamant away, adamant about the way the things are done in Philadelphia. It's, you know, the Philadelphia way is the right way to do business. And I know they don't speak for the entire fan base, but is that something that the fan base is okay with? Because Again, you know, we talk about the Flyers being a different organization. You know, the Flyers fan base is different than a lot of organizations as well. Like, I, I, I do wonder about where they fit into all this as well. So it's a fascinating question, and it's one that, you know, it's, it's tough to fully gauge because what I would say is that the sense I get um, from fans I talk to, from people I interact with both in real life and online is that the older fans do tend to buy into that line of thinking. Now, granted, everyone's very frustrated right now. This is as angry as I've seen the Flyers fan base in my entire life. You know, they are extremely infuriated with how things have gone, but I do think the older fans are are more open to the idea that, you know, we have a way that we have to play and we have a way that we have to build teams and we take care of our own and the Flyers way and the Ed Snyder way has to be the way we do it. I think younger fans probably because they didn't grow up with a super successful flyers team more, just look at it as I don't know if this works. Why don't we try something new? Because clearly the flyers way isn't bringing us cups anymore. 
So I think there's a little bit of a generational split there, probably driven by the fact that the younger fan base, younger section of the fan base hasn't seen the good fruits of the Flyers way in the same way that people who are in their, you know, 40s, 50s and 60s have. Um, I don't think there's a consensus one way or the other. I do think that a lot of fans, you know, look at, say, the hire of John LeClaire and say, man, I really like that guy when he was a player. You know, I want to see if, if Johnny will be good at this job. And there is that goodwill that still exists. But I will say that there there's a not insignificant contingent of Flyers fans that really roll their eyes and get frustrated when they just hire more and more former Flyers because it just feels like more of the same. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. Like it's, I do feel like there is some sort of exhaustion there, but it does make sense with the older fan base because it's funny that you mentioned it. it is the older of the Flyers fans that I know that have that same sentiment, like, oh, the Broad Street bullies, and we got to bring about, yeah, okay. All right, I get it. Um, okay, so so we talked about the Provorov deal, and and now there's there's decisions to make on on other players as it pertains to Danny Breer in this front office. Like Carter Hart's name has been thrown out there. They I know they like Sam Urson. I, I I would anticipate that they're comfortable with Felix Sandstrom as well. We add Cal Peterson into the mix, and I, I'm I don't I'm not guaranteeing that Cal Peterson is going to make any starts for this franchise next season. But if you're paying a guy that much money, I, I wonder how much effort they're going to put into trying resurrecting that career. So where does Carter Hart fit into all this? Like if you if you had to if you had to put odds on it, would you would you say that he is going to be a member of this organization at the start of next season? I think it's really a toss up. I really think the way they're approaching the Carter Hart situation is. They're, what they're saying to teams is that, look, we don't have to trade this guy. He's 24. He turns 25 in August. We can envision a scenario where even though we're rebuilding, if it's a quick and efficient rebuild, that he can still be part of the next really good Flyers team. He's young enough to be, to be that guy. However, he's also old enough where, look, we acknowledge that rebuilds can take time and Hey, if you want this guy, we're open to ideas, but you're really going to have to bowl us over if you want Carter Hart. You know, the fact of the matter is that there aren't that many goalies his age that have the kind of experience and track record as a starter in the NHL. He's a pretty rare commodity. So the Flyers are looking at it as if you want him, you got to dazzle us. Now, will they be dazzled? It's a good question. I guess we'll see. We'll see what teams, you know, the teams that need goalies or feel they need goalies, you know, what they're willing to offer. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, but one of the other complications here, which I don't think it'll necessarily stop teams from making offers, but it might stop teams from making massive offers is the fact that, you know, the results of the hockey Canada investigation are still pending and, and Hart was on that team. And, you know, to this point, he's, you know, kind of not given comment. He says he wish he could speak on it, but he can't probably for legal reasons. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, while I'm not certainly not accusing him of anything, it, teams might look at this and say that might not be a risk we want to take, it, you know, both from a, a public relations standpoint. And, you know, if it turns out that he was involved in some way and get some sort of discipline, whether legal or from the league, you know, did we, was it really a good idea that we just gave up two first round picks and a top tier prospect for him? So I think there's a lot of things at play here. I do think it's certainly possible the Flyers could trade Carter Hart. I think they're definitely listening, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I really do think it's kind of a toss up. The other guy that's that's been mentioned lately is Scott Lawton, and uh, you know we've we've heard his, his name out there. He's got three years left at a very favorable three million dollar cap hit, and he would fit on a lot of contenders at that number. 
Um, but does it feel like they're in a hurry to move him or, or might he be a guy that, you know, they want to keep around as a veteran presence for the younger players while also not breaking the bank and having to pay him to be there? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail right on the head there with Lawton. I think, again, I think they're listening, and they have to. You know, you have to be listening on veterans because I think they know that Scott Lawton, because of his age and because of the fact that he's not, you know, he's a good player, but he's not a premier player, he's probably not going to be on the next really good Flyers team when they get out, out of this rebuild, if they get out of this rebuild. But I think they look at it that while Lawton might not be part of that team, he might provide invaluable and tangible help towards getting some of the players that are currently on the roster or even players that aren't even in the organization right now, getting them to be the best versions of themselves so they can be part of that team. They definitely feel like Lawton brings a lot of intangible value. He sets a good example. He's a real good culture guy. John Tortorella loves them. I'm pretty sure Danny Briere loves them too. So if they're going to move Scott Lawton, and I don't think it's impossible they do, you know, if a team, again, really bowls them over and makes them an offer they can't refuse, bringing it back to the, the mafia reference from earlier, I think they might do it. But he's not a guy they're itching to trade because they see a lot of value in keeping him around just to help with the rebuilding culture and keeping this team, you know, on the right track in terms of player development and whatnot. They think he's valuable in that regard. So if I had to guess, I think he sticks around, but again, you know, if a team calls up and says, we'll give you two first round picks, then you have to listen. You, you, you owe it to your organization. You owe it to your rebuild to, to, to listen and seriously consider it. Yeah. I don't think you, I don't think that the flyers are in a position where they are, are not listening to any calls right now. I mean, there's certain guys that you don't want to move, but you know, you have to at least have a, a, an open mind about them. Now there's one player and I got a few minutes here, uh, Sean Couturier, and we know he skated at the end of the season. They made the, the decision that he wasn't going to be returning. So it's been a while since we've seen Sean Couturier on the ice in an NHL uniform. Um, what is the expectation for him for next season? And and barring any setbacks, do you expect him in the lineup when the season starts? I, I guess the, the short answer is yes. I would expect him in the lineup barring any setbacks. And the guys had two back surgeries. So you kind of have to hold your breath if you're the Flyers and hoping that he doesn't have another one when, you know, he hits the ice for training camp or when he starts training, whatever, you know, it could blow up again. But Couturier wanted to come back at the end of the season. He was very disappointed. I interviewed him right after the decision was officially announced, and, and he was bummed. You know, he wanted to get some time, and he wants to be an NHL player again. He feels like he still has it. You talk to the coaches. They say he still looks like an impact guy in practice, You know, making plays, making plays in scrimmages, things like that. So I think the expectation of Philadelphia is that he will be back next year. Obviously, that's tempered with the, the acknowledgement that two back surgeries are serious business and there's always the chance that it recurs, it flares back up and then there's a big problem they have on their hands, but they expect him to be back. And as to what player they're going to get, if, and when he does come back, I don't think anyone really knows, you know, he, he was a selkie caliber player really up until the time he got hurt with the back injury. So if he can come back at that level, you know, that brings up a lot of interesting questions for the flyers because then it becomes okay. Do you, do you keep this guy? He does have a no movement clause. You're paying him a lot of money. Do you have a conversation with him and say, hey, we're rebuilding? Do you potentially want to go somewhere else? Will teams have an interest in him given the two back surgeries and the pretty big cap hit? It really does open up an entirely 
new can of worms in terms of what happens there. But the first thing that has to happen is Kateri has to come back and prove that he's still a really good player. And, and neither of those things are certainties. But if it happens, it certainly opens up a lot of interesting questions for the Flyers, for Kateri, and really for a lot of other teams in the NHL too. Yeah, I think we're all rooting for Sean Kateri to get back on the ice because one of the, you know, a very impressive player at, at both ends of the ice and, and obviously health is at the top of that list, but we'd love to see him back on the ice. Uh, Charlie, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Greatly appreciate it and uh, enjoy the weekend. Yeah, of course. You too. There he goes. Charlie O'Connor from the athletic covering the Philadelphia flyers. Uh, that's going to be it for us today here on the Jeff Merrick show. Thank you to everybody that listened. Um, thank you to David Amber for joining me off the top of the show. Of course, uh, Tom Fitzgerald, devil's executive vp and gm and thank you for the devils for making him available uh, also arda ocal the mo returned today and if you missed it just listen to the podcast i'm sure you'll enjoy it and uh, and charlie o'connor who we just had on there from the athletic thank you to everyone behind the glass to lance to jen thank you to everyone that listen uh jeff will be back on monday when the jeff merrick show returns uh, this has been Matt Marchese on the Jeff Merrick Show. You've been listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now, Sportsnet 360. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll talk to you on Monday.